I'm thankful for how God uses people. Um, if you have questions about uh, sermon, the, something that's said or sermons, I appreciate uh, the folks that, that ask questions and, and say, hey, what did you mean by this? Uh, one person asked, well, what did you mean we're not supposed to make converts, we're supposed to make disciples? And that's a good question. That's a very good question. Because that's something that I mentioned last Sunday. Our call is not to only make converts, but it's to make disciples. See, making disciples involves two things. It involves evangelism and edification. And if we're only only making converts, getting people to say a prayer or, or uh, leading someone to Christ and just leave them there, they're infants floundering in the water. And we need to take the next step. So, so I, I appreciate someone asking for clarification on that. And then also, uh, in our Wednesday night Bible study, uh, Paul brought up the fact, Paul Bruno brought up the fact that when um, Jesus told Peter what to do, he said, Peter, let down your nets, plural, let down your nets, plural. And what did Peter do? He let down his net. And he still received a great, a great catch of fish. But what if Peter had let down his nets? And it shows us that what really matters is not our. It ultimately, is not the small amount of faith. Ultimately, it's the object of our faith, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, who makes up for our weakness. And the Lord Jesus certainly blessed Peter, even though he showed a little weak faith. The object of our faith is ultimately. What matters? Well, we want to look in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Before you do, can you think of your most embarrassing moment in your life? Most embarrassing moment. Probably, you, a group of guys a couple weeks ago, a couple Thursday nights ago, we were talking about some embarrassing things that's happened to us. I'm not going to share those stories because they're embarrassing. Uh, but you probably have a, a watershed event in your life that you just still shake your head at and say, that was got to be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. I have a lot of those. I, I, I get embarrassed easily, which must mean I'm a, I'm a proud person uh, because uh, my, it doesn't take very much for, for me to be embarrassed. Um, but let me just share something that happened just just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Alan Beck uh, at Calvary puts on a pastor's breakfast for local pastors uh, once a month, and we usually have it at his home. He had accidentally double booked an appointment at his home, which also serves as his business, and so he had graciously arranged for uh, Moody's to have a table for us. And so several of us uh, pastors showed up at Moody's, and we enjoyed breakfast together. In fact, we saw the Rowles there. Uh, that's probably not a surprise, right? <laughs> the Rowells love Moody's. And, uh, and we, we enjoyed a breakfast there. And so as pastors sitting around and talking, and, uh, and uh, you know, have our cups of uh, drinks and stuff, and, and I'm drinking, uh, my, I had a cup of water, ice water, and I'm drinking, we're talking about pretty important, serious things. And I go down to, uh, to, get, a, to get a drink of water, and, 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 I, and I put the cup up to my mouth, and the straw sticks up my nose. It sticks up my nose. And it wasn't like, you know, I accidentally just stuck the straw up my nose and, you know, fell back in the cup. It, I, it stuck up my nose so hard that it was still hanging out of my nose when I put my cup down. Alright? That was embarrassing. Um, 
I mean, it was jammed up there. I was just like that. Got a drink of water, and, and the straw goes right up my nose, right up my nostril. That's an embarrassing moment. That wasn't my most embarrassing moment, but that was an embarrassing moment in front of a bunch of pastor friends. Luckily, they're all pastor friends, so we're all in the same boat, right? Things that are embarrassing are one thing. Things that are dehabilitating are another. It's one thing to be embarrassed. It's another thing to be outcast. In Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we have a man who has gone beyond embarrassment. This man is an absolute outcast. He is described as a man, in verse 12, full of leprosy. Not just a man who was a leper, not just a man who had leprosy, he is a man full of leprosy. That word full is the same word that's used earlier in Luke to describe Jesus being full of the Spirit. Now how full of the Spirit was Jesus? Completely full of the Spirit, right? This man is completely full of leprosy. There's a little debate uh, in the scholarly world as to whether as to what exactly leprosy was, whether or not it's the commonly associated Hansen's disease uh, that, that, that is the deterioration of the flesh and, uh, and, and, and uh, occurs in, in many third world countries, or whether it was a variety of, of skin disorders. Regardless, this was a man who had some serious issues. And as a man who had serious issues, he was faced with being an outcast in his society. Leprosy is an interesting study in the Old Testament. Obviously, it's not a very positive thing to be uh, full of leprosy. And and all the occasions of the Old Testament where leprosy uh, uh, appears, most of them seem to be a judgment of God on that individual. When Moses in Exodus 4 takes his hand and puts it into his cloak and brings it out as a sign of God to the Egyptians and his hand is leprous and then he puts it back in and the leprosy disappeared. That was a sign that God was God and he was going to judge the Egyptians. Uh, In Leviticus 13, uh, there's a method described where the priest could detect leprosy among the Israelites. And there are ordinances for the leper, when, if it was a legitimate leprosy, for that leper to be isolated from the faith community. In Leviticus 14, though, there are also, on the flip side, there were offerings that, uh, that are prescribed in connection with the cleansing of that leper. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 10, when Miriam uh, is jealous of, of her brother Moses, she is punished with leprosy. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 29, David's curse on the house of Joab was, May it never be without a leper. Think about that. May all your children be lepers. Now, probably the closest thing to the stigma of leprosy would be if you travel back about a decade and a half ago, maybe even two decades ago, when the AIDS epidemic was, epidemic was new. And the stigma of someone who had AIDS. May it never be in your house that you, have, that you are without someone who has AIDS. David's curse to Joab. Think about that. In 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, a Syrian Naaman is cured of his leprosy, but Gehazi, Elisha's servant, is punished with it. And in 2 Kings 7, you have the four lepers of Samaria uh, that God uses as an example and a, and a, um, a kind of a chastisement to the rest of Israel. He uses Samaritan lepers. 
But then in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and 2 Kings 15, you have one of Israel's kings, Judah's king Uzziah, who follows Miriam's example. And he, he goes into the temple and offers something that he's not supposed to do as his role as a king. And he is similar, similarly punished with leprosy. Then in the New Testament, uh, you have uh, some, some references to leprosy as well. But it's a horrible thing. And I was reading one of my commentaries. I'm not going to share all the details uh, of, about it, but, but, but the, um, the, the, the horrid, decaying process of leprosy, it involved all five senses. The smell. The horrible sight. The gaping pockets in the skin. Horrible. Well, it says in verse 12, Jesus, when He was in a certain city, this is in Galilee, it says, Behold, or lo and behold, a man full of leprosy. This man was supposed to be outside of the city. But this man heard about Jesus. says, Who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought. That word besought is a strong word. It means to beg and plead for mercy. He begged him. And his response to, to the Lord, so he's, he's on his face, he is in the dirt, he is not even supposed to be there. Maybe he was sneaking from house to house around the corner to, find a catch, to, to catch Jesus alone. And he sees Jesus. And he says, this is my opportunity. He was desperate. He, put Jesus, he asked Jesus, he says, if you will, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Or if you want to, you are able to make me clean. So his request to Jesus was not, can you make me clean? Are you able to? His request was, if you will, if you will show mercy on me, you have the ability to make me clean. He was desperate. This was his, own, this was his last draw. And notice his request. His request is, is not to be healed. His request is to be clean, which would certainly involve the, the, um, the, the process of healing, the miracle. But he wants to be clean. In other words, in the, in the Israel Old Testament Jewish times here, to be, to be a leper was to be unclean and to be shunned from the community for fear of contagion. In fact, the rabbis had an had a unwritten tradition that uh, one who had leprosy could not be within 100 cubits downwind of an individual and can only be six cubits upwind from an individual. The rabbis taught that one who had leprosy was as good as dead. If you were a leper, you had to cover your face and if somebody came near you, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Now think about a life of that. How would that affect your spirit, your soul? Outside the camp. And he comes to Jesus and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, verse 13, puts forth, the word means he stretched out his hand. Wait a second. If you touched a leper, you yourself became unclean and had to join him. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. What do you think the last time this man had ever felt touch was? 
If he had felt any touch recently, it would have been from the other lepers that would have lived in the outskirts of the city in this colony. Power of touch. Jesus is not bound by traditional obstacles. Mark describes the story in Mark chapter 1 as Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And Jesus' response perfectly lines up with what the man's question was. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will be thou clean. And immediately, a word that's used frequently in Mark, uh, instantly, straightway, immediately, the leprosy departed from him. If this man had, had, had knobs on his hands from his fingers that were decaying, if he had pockets in his flesh, immediately they were restored. Immediately. It wasn't like Jesus said, okay, the leprosy is gone now, and you're going to just have to carry on with the consequences of what that's done to your body, but the leprosy disease is gone. He's restored whole. You can imagine the hollow cheeks being, being, being formed again instantly. The fingers, the hands, the face, the nose. Verse 14, Jesus charged or commands or orders him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing. That's a process described in Leviticus 14. It's a very uh, detailed process. One of the things was he had to bring uh, two birds, and and one of those birds would be sacrificed, and another bird would be let go uh, uh, if if the man was, was free from his cleansing, as a symbol of the man was now free, according as Moses commanded, verse 14, for a testimony unto them. Can you imagine that? This is a small community. People would have known. They would have probably thought back to the day when this man found out he had leprosy. And he was banished from the community. And he was to go to the priest, kind of unannounced, and show up and say, would you check and see that I am now clean and part of the community again? You see, the leper was not allowed in the temple worship, the Israelite Old Testament worship. He was ostracized. Jesus tells him not to tell anyone, but just go and present yourself to the priest. On verse 15 it says, So much the more went their fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. Jesus didn't want to draw attention to Himself for His miracles. His attention, if there was any attention Jesus wanted to draw to Himself, it was to the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus here shows the example in verse 16. He withdrew Himself into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus in these great crowds in verse 15 that want to flock and, and be healed. Jesus knows His source of power is in His prayer and He needs solitary time with His Father and so He prays and recharges. But what can we see from this text here? A man foul, decaying, deformed. A man avoided, ostracized, corrupted, alone, pathetic, scum to the rest of the world. Helpless, filthy, Hideous, rotting, unacceptable, dying, shamed, smell, forgotten, 
repulsive, disgraced, desperate. Flip over with me to Leviticus chapter 13. To get a sense of how this man was to be treated by his previous friends and villagers. Leviticus 13 verse 45 says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be torn or rent, his head bare, he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone, Without the camp shall his habitation be. Outside of the camp shall he dwell. That's the life this man lived. You know, the story of Leah dovetails nicely, but this is uh, someone who is, who is uh, uh, despised, kind of an outcast. You ever been in that position? I know there are some people who are always the cool kids in their class. But there isn't the kids who were... Never the cool kid in their class. What does that feel like? Then there were the kids who were not just only the not the cool kids in their class, but the kid who everybody made fun of. An outcast. Shamed. This leprosy here certainly is a picture of the condition of the heart. Folks, some folks have shame because of what others have done to them. They have been sinned against. And they're shamed. No fault of their own. Others have done certain things that they regret now and have been shamed for those things. I want you to tell I want to tell you this morning that Jesus the Messiah is the answer to erasing shame. When you look at this man, you can certainly notice that this man had a desperation to find the Messiah. It says that he was in the city. So he must have heard that Jesus had done these wonderful things and he was going to risk being stoned because that was one of the consequences for a leper entering into the city. He was going to be risk being stoned to find the only answer he could find for his situation. He was a man full of leprosy. And folks, in our spiritual condition, I don't know why, what, uh, what your reasons are for shame. Perhaps your shame is, as I said, things that have been done to you that you innocently, uh, have, that innocently have been done to you that you've been shamed for. Those who deal with abuse say one in six now have faced sexual abuse in our society. Jesus restores. Perhaps your situation is you have done something that has been shameful. Jesus, in all of this, restores. 
And I can tell us that no matter what, our, what your situation is, whether you have been sinned against or you, have a, or you have done something that you are ashamed of, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul tells us that before God, we all ought to have a sense of shame because here we were. He says that you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walk according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is something that every one of us should be ashamed of. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, Paul says, uh, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, all of us, we're really no different than that leper. Far off from God and His gracious promises. Excluded from the family of God because we had not been made holy. An orphan wandering, an outcast and a rebel fleeing in our blindness. And disease in the corruptness of our hearts. Cut off from the life of God. Alienated and hostile in mind. And variety of sins, whether as, as, uh, as Colossians list, sexual immorality, impurity evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, hatred, slander, obscene talk, lying, etc. And we can say with Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Certainly that was how the leper felt. Who shall deliver me? He was desperate to find Jesus the Messiah. He knew that only Jesus was the one who could cure him. In chapter 8, verses 1-4 through of Romans, Paul can say, because of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Is that... Is there any better picture of erasing shame than that? Are you desperate to find Jesus the Messiah? Do you see yourself, as Jesus will describe it just a little bit later in chapter 6, as someone who is poor in spirit? Somebody who recognizes their need before a holy God is being bankrupt. Somebody who recognizes that there is nothing they can do to fix their condition. It's a deep heart issue. Before God, they need the Lord Jesus. And you know He's the answer. Are you desperate to find Jesus the Messiah? But secondly here, this man could go to Jesus because he believed that Jesus was greater than whatever was plaguing his body. Do you believe Jesus is greater than your shame? And if you're struggling with those doubts of of whether Jesus can or cannot erase your shame, let me read a few scriptures to you that remind you that Jesus is greater than that shame. Let 
You've known these, you've heard these, but you need to be reminded of them as I do. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him, Christ, to be sin, to be shame for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He took on our shame so that we could have His no condemnation. Let me share how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 23 through 25, Peter says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. See the reversal there? See the erasing of shame, and then the guidance back onto the path? Jesus is greater than your shame. Paul could say to to, uh, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9-11, through reminding them of where they were and their shameful condition before Christ. Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Does that not describe that Jesus is greater than what you faced in your shame and sin? Such were, but you're washed. We sing several songs today, but Christ, Christ receives sinful men. We talked about the blood of Jesus who's able to cleanse us. Jesus is greater than your, than your shame. This man in Luke chapter 5 desired Jesus above all else. It didn't matter what other risk. He was, there's a desperation here for acceptance and, and restoration this man had. You know, I've, I've heard of people who go and get a haircut once a week just because they want the association with other people and the touch. Luke chapter 5, Jesus touches this man. It reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews says when it says Jesus was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is moved with compassion. He knew what this man was facing. The folks on the cross, crucified outside of that city, Jesus took the place of outcast for you. He took the shame. He reconciled you by His death. He presented you pure and righteous and accepted in Him. He brought those who were afar off into the household and family of God. He adopted them as His eternal child. Forgiving sin, redeeming your life back from the kingdom of darkness and transferring you into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His beloved Son. He's given you a rich inheritance of the saints in light. He's made made you heirs together with the Son of God. 
He has made the walking dead alive and canceled the record of sinful debt that stood against you and Almighty God's demands. If you were a kid, probably in school, you had the kid in front of you that you put the sign on their back, right? Kick me or whatever. Anybody not do that in school? There's just some kind of weird, sick joy that you get from from knowing that you put a sign on someone's back and they're walking around with it oblivious to the fact that it says to do something horrible to them, right? Jesus rips that sign off. All of us were walking around with a sign that listed the things that we have done against the Holy God, Colossians says, and Jesus has blotted out the writing of transgressions against us. That is erasing shame. He's canceled the record of sinful debt that stood against you and Almighty God's demands, and He chooses you to be holy and beloved, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving one another, loving, in peace with God and man, thankful, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another and admonishing one another in the ways of God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord, doing whatever you do in your words, your deeds, in the name of the new Lord Jesus, and giving thanks to the Father through Him. That's what He did. That's how He changes us. Are you desperate for Jesus? Do you believe He's greater than your shame? There's two groups of people in this auditorium. Perhaps God's brought you here this morning because you've not come desperate to Christ in your shameful condition. Will you come desperate to Christ today? Let Him touch your shame-ridden soul and believe He transferred the leprosy of your heart to Himself on the cross and gives you life. Or believer, Lord's brought you here this morning because you need to be reminded of where you were before the Lord Jesus. You need to be soaking in that grace again. You need to be saturated in the mercy that God has had for your soul. And the reminder that He has given you a new identity. An identity now where He can call you accepted. And the devil wants to taunt you with things that you've repented of and, for, and been forgiven for. Remind him of what Jesus did to the leper. He erases the disgrace. He erases the shame. He envelops you in his arms. And the simple truth is Jesus loves you. And as the other songwriter said, Jesus loves even me. Let's pray.